If you believe he's the only God, say amen. 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 I'm going to turn this over to Brother Hart at this time. I ask him to, to wait on the Lord and minister to us from what he feels. So, Brother Hart, take your liberty and minister to us. Amen. Amen. Have to, I would have to agree. I feel an amen in my spirit today, too. And I am thankful for, thankful for all of you. And, you know, last night was, was, was just so wonderful and um, especially thankful for my little, little group that I was a part of last night, Brother Matthew and Sister Ruby and the Escobars. I, I truly am, am more in, encouraged and edified in my spirit today because of, because of you all's words. And so I just, I really do thank you. Um, and it gives me a gives me a confidence, an increase of confidence that I that I need sometimes. And so, appreciate you all. I think it's a a practice that we could do a lot more often, for sure. And so, it challenged me, convicted me, and I want to be better about lifting up my brothers and sisters and telling them the things that they do well. Amen. Not always just the things that they could do better. <laughs> That's easy to do. <laughs> Amen. Um. Why don't we, before I let you all be seated, why don't we read a scripture? How many believe today that he's a promise keeper? We just sang about it. I want to talk a little bit about that this morning. Luke chapter 8, verse 11, starting with verse 11, and I'm kind of going to be skipping some of the story here just for sake of time, but I'm sure most of you have heard it. It's a parable Jesus tells about a man, a a farmer essentially, who has a field and he sows, and some of the seed falls on wayside, some falls on stony stony ground, some falls on thorny ground, some falls on good ground. And because of each type of ground, the seed has a different growth uh, because of the condition of the ground. But I'm going to pick up in verse 11 when Jesus gives the explanation of that parable to his disciples. So verse 11, Luke chapter 8, the Lord says, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Man, everyone say that with me. The seed is the word of God. Amen. And that, that tells me right there, just that verse alone, that there's nothing wrong with the seed. That the issue is, is always the ground. If we don't see anything be produced, it's an issue with the ground. Verse 12, those by the wayside are they that hear, then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should, be, should believe and be saved. They on the rock are they which, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. Matthew's gospel says, for when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, by and by he is offended. It falls on the ground. It's the same word. It's the same seed. 
But because of offenses, because of tribulation, because of persecution, it doesn't take root. Verse 14, and they which fell among thorns are they which, when they have heard, go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection or to completion. Matthew, again, says the deceitfulness of riches. Verse 15, but that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. Amen. And then once again, Matthew, his, his version of it says, receive seed into the good ground as he that hears the word and understands it which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Amen. You can sit your Bibles down, and can we just pray this morning that God would give us the right heart to receive his word today? Man, Jesus, Father, I want to just be your vessel this morning. I want to deliver your word, Father, to hungry hearts today and be pleasing unto you, Jesus. We want to have good ground, God, that can receive the seed of the Word of God. We can produce and bring forth the fruit unto completion. I pray, Jesus, that your Word today would help us, would deal with the cares of our life, would deal with the deceitfulness of riches and the things that would choke out the Word of God. It would cause us to stray away from holding on to the promises that are yea and amen that we've already heard today. I pray that you would speak to us, Jesus, with the clear sound from heaven. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, amen, 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 amen. You can be seated this morning. Just so thankful to, so thankful to be here, man, I'm going to going to stay up here <laughs> as difficult as it is for me and feel like you guys are so far away but that's all right amen we see as i as i mentioned that the the seed is the word of god the seed that comes and and is its purpose is to produce fruit in us produce growth in us and as I've, as I've been praying the last couple days when, when the Lord began to speak to me about this, I, a few words that he brought to my spirit were, were spiritual growth, uh, something that I believe in, and know is his desire for the church and for each of us today to have an increase of spiritual growth. Otherwise, we just remain stagnant. We just remain ground. <laughs> That's, that's just there, that's waiting for something to be produced, something that can give to those around us that are hungry. And so I believe that the word today is going to challenge us a little bit in some areas that, that God wants to bring, bring growth in. Amen. And I, I'm not usually one for, for titles either, but I do kind of feel a title today for this and it's simply paths to fulfilled promise. 
because, you know, the promises of God, the word of God that comes to each of us individually and personally, it, it also is a seed. It's also a seed that we have to receive and have faith in that is going to produce something in us. And so that means that it's times and seasons that we have to go through and endure things through waiting for that promise to come to pass. And so I want to talk a little bit today about the, about the pathway to see promises fulfilled. To keep the faith knowing that the seed's still there, that the seed's still doing things under the surface, as the song said, even when we can't see it, even when there's nothing that's sprouted up yet above ground, we can still believe that it's working because the, the Word of God never fails. But we do have a responsibility. We do have a, a role in this process of seeing the promises fulfilled and seeing the seed come to pass. So let's look at a few examples of that. If you'll turn to Genesis, we're going to start right at the beginning. Genesis chapter 3 and verse, starting with verse number 17. We know, we know that by Adam and Eve, but the scripture says by one man's sin... Sin entered the world. And so by Adam and Eve, they, they sinned in the garden, eating of the tree they were told not to. And so the Lord has a responsibility because of his word. He has a responsibility to, to act and to bring some, uh, some penalties for, for their sin. And so this, where we're going to read Genesis three seventeen is is the Lord's, it's essentially his curse to man because of his sin. And unto Adam, this is the Lord speaking to Adam after they've sinned. Unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Now watch this. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. That's where the curse began of the ground. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, in sorrow thou shalt eat of it all the days of thy life. And here's where the struggles are introduced. Verse 18, thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field, and in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground, for out of it Thou wast taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. So even here in, in Genesis, in the book of beginning and in the Garden of Eden, we see the same principle being revealed that we are but dust, we're but ground, and we are the, the soil for the seed of God to, to fall upon, and and the earth is, is, is oftentimes a representation of, of flesh, of man. And if, if we read a little further here, we see in verse 14, or actually it's going backwards, I, I skipped it, but in verse 14, the Lord had a curse for the serpent as well. And he tells the serpent, because you have done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field upon thy belly shalt thou go and dust shall thou eat all the days of thy life. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never seen or heard of a snake that 
eats dust or eats dirt, dirt. And so I believe that that this is again also spiritually speaking that the serpent, Satan, the dust that he is cursed to eat is flesh. It's man. It's, it's us. And we see examples of this in scripture as well. The Bible says that he's seeking about whom he may devour the devil. He's going throughout the earth and, and now it's his goal to to bring more temptation to man, to cause men to fall more. And again, because he knows that we're a prophetic people. He knows that we're people with promise. And if he can get us to fall, if he can get us to return to the dust and the earth that we came from, he can cause us to miss the promise, miss the fulfilling of the promise that God would have for us. And so he seeks us that he may devour us. And we quickly, it's, it's so amazing, we quickly see an example of this in, in Genesis, just a few, or maybe even I think the next chapter later, when, when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, they, they begin now having to work the ground. That's, that's part of their responsibility, and it's also our responsibility. We now have the responsibility of working the ground. The seed's there, the seed's good, nothing wrong with the seed, but our role in the process of seeing the promises fulfilled is working the ground, and that's our heart. And so we see an example, though, of, of Satan's attempt to thwart the plan of God, thwart the promises of God. And I, I actually want to read one more verse here, verse 15, because in the midst of, this is what's so powerful, is in the midst of the curse to man and to woman and the serpent, there's also a promise. There's a hidden promise in the middle of, of this curse. Watch this. It says, I will put enmity, and this is the Lord speaking to Satan still. He says, I'll put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed. See, it's all about the seed. Between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And we know, of course, this is prophetic of Jesus Christ. Some couple thousands of years later that he would come, the seed of the woman, the seed of David, he would come, die on a cross, and bruise the head of Satan. But that promise was given back in the garden. The plan of God to, to bring about salvation for man was established back in the garden. But he didn't stop there with, with his example of his plan for salvation, because once they sinned, he also said, okay, you recognize you're naked now because of your sin, and so now I know I have, to do, I have to bring a covering for you all. And so we see the first blood sacrifice that's done in, in Scripture. And the Lord kills what it doesn't say specifically, but most likely is a lamb. Kills an animal and uses that animal's skins to cover Adam and Eve, to cover their sin. Because now they're in a state of, of sin. And that, that transitions them out of the garden, out of that place of innocence to a place of working by the sweat of their brow, trying to keep the ground clear of thorns and thistles and things that would try to quench the seed. Because through every generation, you see the plan of Satan trying to quench the seed of the woman. And as I was mentioning, we see it just a few chapters later with their children, Cain and Abel. Abel, the second born, but was going to be the, the bloodline of Jesus Christ. But they, they follow, no doubt, the, the process that Adam and Eve taught them of sacrifice and of offering to God. And we see in Scripture that, that they bring an offering to the Lord. 
and Cain, he was a gardener, and, and, and Abel was a shepherd, and so he brings one of his lambs, but Cain brings of the fruit of the ground, which personally I don't believe there was anything wrong with, but what the issue was was he brought something that wasn't the best. He brought of the fruit of the ground that was his second best. And then when he did so, he compared his offering with Abel's because Abel found favor in the eyes of God. And then we know, of course, the story ends in tragedy with Cain killing his brother because of the comparison, because the Lord found favor with Abel and not him and his offering. And so even there, we see the work of Satan trying to crush that bloodline by causing Cain to rise up and kill his brother. Because the Lord comes to Cain and says, sin lies at the door waiting for you. It's there, crouched like a lion, just waiting for you to crack the door a little bit. And then he's going to pounce, going to cause you to sin. And that's exactly what happened. He killed his brother and the Lord had to raise up Seth. And I'm looking at another example here in Scripture. Again, we're just we're talking about the the path of of promise, the the path of fulfilled promises. Is another character in Scripture is Noah. Noah is actually here in in this passage is the first mention of an altar in Scripture. We have those examples in in Genesis with Adam and Eve, the, a sacrifice, and then Cain and Abel an offering, but here is actually the first mention of an altar. Genesis chapter 8, and this is after the flood happens, after, after the Lord f- causes a flood to come across the whole earth and kill all of mankind except but eight souls, Noah and his family. Genesis chapter 8 and verse 20. Watch the, watch the response of Noah. He, he realizes, okay, all this trouble was brought on us by humanity. By evil humanity who went their own way. But the Lord made a way of escape for us. He made a way to bring us through. And Noah's first response when they get off the ark is, Noah builded an altar unto the Lord. And he took of every clean beast and every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. In verse 21, the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite anymore every living thing as I have done. And I just, I find it so amazing, so powerful here that the sweet savor of the altar, the sweet savor at this point in their life of transition, they'd been brought through the flood, brought through the judgment of God. And the first thing that they feel to do is make an offering and a sacrifice to the Lord that says, God, you know, thank you for bringing us through that. We're ready to go into this new chapter of life. We're ready to start fresh and clean. And, and to show you that, we're going to make an altar to you. And, the, and we just read it. The, the Lord received that offering as a sweet savor. And it did something in the heart of God that said, I, I'm not going to curse the ground again. I'm not going to move against man again in the way that I did here. And I, I, I just find that so powerful, the power of, of an altar, the power of our sacrifice to God and an offering to the Lord. 
And sometimes I think it, 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 it is for and does appease God. Because, yeah, sometimes God is, he's a God of judgment. He's a God that, that says, yeah, there's going to be some consequences for your sin. But by the grace and the mercy of God, we have ways of escape through that. And an altar is, is one of the greatest ways of remembering what he's done for us on the cross. And so this, this was the posture of, of Noah. And what I find so, so powerful is that right after he makes this sacrifice, right after he has this altar, the Lord gives him a promise. The Lord says, okay, look, I've put this bow in the sky. This is my symbol to you that I'm never going to do this again in this way. Yeah, there's going to come judgment on the earth again someday, but not in this same method, not in the same way. I'm not again going to curse the ground anymore for man's sake. And so where at the point of his altar, there was a, also a promise brought to Noah that applies to each of us today as well. One other individual I want to look at in Scripture is Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, if you'll turn with me. And I believe, I believe each of these places that we're reading today, I think that, and once we read Abraham, I, I believe that each of us can find ourselves in one of these stories, one of these individuals, whether it's with Adam and Eve, and you've, you're under the curse still of sin, you've not yet necessarily been brought through the waters of baptism as Noah and his family was, and been covered or been covered by the blood of a sacrifice maybe you're at that point maybe you're at that stage of your of your journey on your path or maybe you're there with as as Noah was and you've been just recently brought through the waters of baptism and now you're saying okay God what's next what's what's ahead for me or maybe and I feel like maybe many of us will fall under this one of Abraham maybe we're in Abraham's shoes Genesis 12, verse 1, is a, the Lord speaking to Abraham, and he says, Unto Abraham, get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation. This is the promise of God. This is the seed of the word of God coming to Abraham of something that he says, I will do this. This will happen. And he says, I'll make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee. And make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless thee, or I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curse thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now jump down with me to verse 7. The Lord, or Abraham just received this promise of God, what's what we call the Abrahamic covenant. The covenant between Abraham and the Lord that carries over to all people, to all of us as well today, because we are children and seed of Abraham uh, in, this, in the new covenant. But verse 7 says, The Lord, he again appeared unto Abraham and said unto, he's kind of reiterating here, Unto thy seed I will give this land. And there builded he an altar. Abraham just received this promise of God. And his first response is to build an altar. 
build a place of sacrifice, a place of offering, a place of memorial before the Lord to remember the promise, to remember the things that God had spoken to him that he said, I will do. So he built an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent having, now watch this, having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. And there he builded an altar. In between Bethel and Hai, he builded an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. But as it would go, verse 10, a famine hits the land. Right after Abraham receives his promise, right after he receives this seed from God into his heart, into his spirit of things that God says, I will do this. I will do that for you. It's going to happen. You're going to be a father of many nations. There's going to be many that are going to be called by your name. He put a prophetic seed into his spirit, and then a famine hits the land. (laughs) Now, it's in the natural, but again, I believe so many things in the natural, they represent the spiritual. And so often our things, our circumstances in the natural around us cause us to question the spiritual sometimes. Say, man, God, I thought that this is a season of harvest. thought this is a season of some 30, some 50, some 100-fold blessings and, and reaping. And we have the promise, we still believe the promise, but now there's a famine. (laughs) Now there's no fruit, nothing being produced in the land. Just dry, empty ground. So there's a famine in the land, and so what did Abraham do? He went down into Egypt. He said, all right, you know, I'm thankful I have an altar here, this place that the Lord gave me a promise between Bethel, between Hai, but there's a famine in the land now, so I got to go, got to go figure some things out. And so he, he goes into Egypt and he sojourns there, for the famine was grievous in the land. Now jump with me to the beginning of chapter 13. It's, we're going to skip ahead to when Abraham comes out. So Genesis 13 and verse 1. So now I would assume maybe the famine's over because Abraham, he went up out of Egypt. He sojourned there for a season during the famine, and now he went up out of Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him in the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle and silver and in in gold, which is just interesting to me that he, he went down to Egypt during famine, but he comes out rich. He comes out with blessings of the Lord, even in the middle of, of famine. And verse 3, he, he went on his journeys from the south, even to Bethel. Remember where he was before, between Bethel and Hai. He goes between or to Bethel unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Hai. Uh, in verse 4, Unto the place of the altar. He knew where he needed to return to. After the famine. After the season of sojourning. He returned to the place of the altar. 
the place where the Lord had came and made a promise to him, a covenant to him. And he sealed it in his spirit that day by making an altar unto the Lord, saying, God, I believe, I, I believe it was his amen moment when he said, okay, Lord, I just received your promise. Amen. Here's an altar that is my stamp saying, I believe it. Here's the altar that is me saying, it's, it's going to come to pass. It's going to happen. And I'm going to put this altar here, God, as a place that after famine, after years of nothing, I can return to and remember the promise that you've spoken to me. So he went there. And I find it so interesting that I, I, I love looking at the words, especially proper nouns in Scripture. And Bethel is literally the house of God. And Hai is a heap of ruins. So Abraham's altar was in this place right in the middle of the house of God and a heap of ruins. And I truly believe that there's many in, in the house of God who have promises, have words from God that he's spoken over their life. But because they don't have an altar or because they don't have a place of memorial to God, when the famine hits, when difficulties come, when, when there's some stones in the ground, some thorns in the ground, then they drift a little bit. They go to Egypt, but then because they have no altar to return to, they end up also drifting to Hai. They end up drifting to that place of, of ruin, that place of destruction where there's no fruit going to be produced. It's just a place full of rocks, a place full of offenses because someone in the church said something that didn't sit right with me. And so instead of me going to the altar and dealing with it with the Lord, I, I chose to go to Hai and let it turn into stones in my ground, turn into rocks in my soil where no fruit, no seed can produce, no seed can come forth. But Abraham had an altar to return to. He had a place with the Lord to return to where he knew, okay, maybe it's been some famine, it's been some hard times, there's some rubble, some ruin over there, but I'm not going to let myself go there. I'm going to return to the place of promise. Return to this place on the journey, on the pathway of my prophetic fulfillment. Abraham, he clearly had some struggles, clearly struggled a little bit at times with the promise. We know he tried to even make the promise happen on his own, in his flesh. Again, it's uh, interesting, nothing against wives. I don't have one, but nothing against them. <laughs> but again, his wife said, you know, why don't you take my maiden Hagar and and so he did and we know what happened there trying to in his humanity in his maybe season of doubt wondering okay God I'm getting a little old here you said this is going to happen I, I know there's a seed there but <laughs> where is it at <laughs> I, tr I truly believe that our paths of, of promises being fulfilled, and as we've looked here in Scripture, that the pathways of fulfilled promises are paths that are filled and lined with altars. Paths that are lined with these places of memorial where we had an encounter with God. 
We had a moment with God where he came to us and spoke something to us and, you know, is a hype and maybe in the power of a service and, and we felt that we were sure of it in that moment. But then some circumstances of life, some things come that, that if we don't have an altar in place will always cause us to question the seed. They'll always cause us to question the timing of God and wondering when and if this is really going to happen. But if we have a pathway that's lined with altars, pathway with, with altars that we can return to and go to and remember, okay, yeah, at this place, at this Bethel, at this El Bethel where I wrestled with the angel of the Lord, this is where he spoke to me and said, this is going to happen. And Abraham, he had many altars. And I, it's, it's so amazing to me, even when the Lord gave him a portion of his promise, which was his son, his, his son Isaac. When the Lord gave him that part of the promise, then he said, all right, time for another altar. <laughs> I've given you this portion of the promise. I've proved the seed is there and working, but now I want you to give it to me. <laughs> I want you to bring it to another altar and give it to me. And he did. He, he followed through until the, the angel had to stop him. Say, wait, Abraham, Abraham. All right, you've proven yourself. You've proven you believe it. Proven you believe the seed works. And even if you kill this portion of the promise, you have faith that I would raise it up. You have faith that I would still come through because the seed never fails. Because there's never a problem with the seed. Amen. I just one other place and we won't don't have to turn there for for sake of time. But one other place that that came to my mind and in, in going through all of this is the children of Israel and they were in captivity because of their sin, because of because of things that they had done that weren't pleasing to God. They they get into captivity with Babylon and th- then the word of the Lord, again, the, the prophetic word of the Lord, the seed comes by the man of God, Jeremiah. I think it's Jeremiah 25. The Lord speaks through Jeremiah and says, you know, this is going to happen. You're going to go into captivity for 70 years to Babylon and your city is going to become a heap of ruins. It's going to become a place of rubble, broken down. Your temple is going to be broken. Your altar is going to be broken. Your walls are going to be broken. You're going to be brought in captivity for 70 years. But after 70 years, I'll bring you out. And so the children of Israel are in this place, this, this process, this path of, of that portion of their promise being fulfilled. And we, we see in the book of Ezra, the beginning of the book of Ezra, is a portion of this pathway to the fulfillment of promise. Ezra chapter 1 starts by saying, in the year of Cyrus, the word of the Lord of Jeremiah, that the Lord, word of the Lord of Jeremiah be fulfilled, the Spirit of God moves on Cyrus. And he says, all right, time clock is ticking at right about 70 years. My children have been in bondage. Think they've learned their lesson now, <laughs> hopefully. But, and I've spoken the word, so now it's time. It's going to happen. So he moves on a heathen king 
and the scripture later in another place said it, that Cyrus was the Lord's anointed. He moves on him to send people back to Jerusalem. And to make a long story short, you can read it for yourself, Ezra and Nehemiah, some of my favorite passages and, and books. The, the people begin to go back to a city of, of rubble, of ruin, a heap of ruins, just like Hai. But you know when they, when they get there, they don't start with building their houses they don't start with building the wall. They don't even start with rebuilding the house of God. The first thing that they start with rebuilding was the altar. That place of, of offering to the Lord. And that place of sacrifice unto God. Where they could go and say, okay God, those last 70 years were not fun. <laughs> and we don't want to go back there. We don't want that to happen again. So the first thing we're going to do is come back to a place of an altar. Come back to a place where we can remember the promises of God that are yea and amen. Because you just did it. You just brought us back out after 70 years. So we're going to make an offering to you because we believe in the power of the seed. Believe in the power of the word of God. Amen. And I'm going to... I'm going to Finish, finish here today with, with just a few things if, uh, if you would like to stand. Maybe Sister Flowers will play melodiously. <laughs> I really, as I mentioned earlier, I, I, I truly believe that each of us are at some point in this process of promises in our lives being fulfilled. Elder Flowers said it at the beginning of the year that he believes this is a year of promise. And, you know, yes, a lot of people, when they talk about promise, they'll talk about Abraham's riches, <laughs> all, the, all the money, all the wealth, all the cattle, and they'll preach that, you know, till they're blue in the face. And I'm, I'm thankful for the, I believe we have blessings of God that are, in some cases, monetary. But here, for the most part, when we talk about the promises and even the blessing of God, we're not talking about you getting a Bentley, <laughs> Rolls Royce, you know, having a million dollars in the bank account. God can do it for you. He can trust you with it. But... For most of us, <laughs> that's not what the promises and the blessings of God are or look like. But I believe that whether, you know, you're in the Adam and Eve category, you're still maybe, as I said, under the curse of sin. You've not yet been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ that he shed for us already, bringing us into, that's the powerful thing about about the cross and the blood is once we have the blood of Jesus applied we automatically become partakers of his promise we automatically become children of Abraham and become heirs of the promises of Abraham and not only that but Acts chapter 2 and verse 39 says for the promise is unto you 
and to your children and to all that are afar off. Even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So when we come out from the curse of the sin of, of our lives, covered by the blood, brought through the flood and the waters of baptism, filled with the Spirit of God, we automatically have a promise. Whether you feel like you've received personal promises yet or not, there's a promise that's right there waiting for you, right on the other side of the waters of baptism, right there at the edge of the altar of repentance. But maybe you are in the camp with Abraham. You've been baptized already. You've been filled with the Holy Ghost. But you feel, for you personally, for your family, Brother Matthew, that you have some other promises that are still in the ground. That you have some other things that haven't yet come above the surface. And I... I Feel the Holy Ghost speaking to us right now. God's not forgotten you or your promise. It's our responsibility to work the ground and trust His timing. Keep working the ground, amen, and keep trusting the seed. Keep trusting the promise today because it's still there. If He's given you a promise, it's still on the ground. It's still going to be fulfilled, amen? If we do our part and work the ground, and the promises of God, it's already been said, the promises of God are yes and amen. Jesus' name, Jesus' name. Well, I'm opening these altars today. If you have a promise of God, if there's some things that maybe you've lost a little bit of faith on, I'm encouraging you to come and find an altar again today. Find a place of memorial with the God that gave you that promise. And if you're still in a place where you need to repent, where you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus, these altars are open to you today to come to repent. And then we can baptize you today if you want to be. Jesus' name, Jesus' name, Jesus' name. God, we trust your seed today. We trust your word today, God. We trust your promise today, Jesus. Well, maybe you have some stones in your ground that you need to deal with in an altar today. Maybe you've got some thorns in your ground that have been choking out some of that seed of the Word of God. Why don't you bring it to the altar this morning? Why don't you bring it here and let God burn those things away?
Some of you that are parents, you need to pray prophecy prayers over your children. Come on, the Lord would lead you. He would put a word in your mouth to speak over your family, to speak over your son or over your daughter. I believe it right now in the name of Jesus. I believe it right now, God. There is nothing impossible to you, Lord God. And you can do all things. You can do all things, God. I believe it, Lord. I can see it in my spirit, oh God. A valley of dry bones coming to life. God, because it is your spoken word. Because it is your prophesied word. I speak it right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray it. Raise up preachers of righteousness, God. Raise up prophets, O Lord. Apostles, pastors, Lord. Raise them up right now in the name of Jesus. I speak it in faith, O God. I speak it in faith, O God. Lord, I know you can see it way out there in the future. God, into you, nothing is impossible. To me, it might look like a question mark. I don't know how you would do it, God. I don't know when you would do it, Lord. But I believe it in my spirit right now, God. With you, all things are possible. Come on, speak that faith right now. I'm encouraging you, speak that faith. Whatever the Lord would show you, let it be an amen in your spirit. Let it be an amen in your spirit. Yes, God. Yes, God. I can see it in faith, Lord. I believe it right now in the name of Jesus. over my sons and my daughters right now in the name of Jesus the word of God Lord for however long you would tarry on this earth that they would be involved in the work of your kingdom God that they would go out and declare the word of faith and live according to righteousness Lord God that it would be in word and in indeed Lord in their words and in their actions God, that they would live according to the promise of God upon them. That they would live and seek the life that's led by the promise of God on them. I speak it right now in the name of Jesus. I speak it right now in Jesus' name. Lord, you know. Lord, you know all things. Lord, you know all things. Come on, if the Lord has shown you some things in prayer, whether it's today or sometime in the past, why don't you express your faith in that vision, in that fulfillment? God, I can see it. I believe it right now. I believe it right now, Jesus. I declare it in Jesus' name, the salvation of that Son. I declare it right now in Jesus' name. Yes, Father. Yes, Father, in Jesus' name.
want you to repeat this phrase after me. Take courage. Come on, somebody say it. Take courage. That's the King James version of saying, don't worry about that thing. Don't try to figure it out right now if you don't see it right now. Don't be worried about how it's going to work, where, when and where and with who. Don't worry about that. You take courage. The Apostle Paul was sailing and in the middle of a, of a shipwreck. And he went out to all those sailors and all his men and he said, Men, take courage. Take courage because the angel of the Lord visited me last night and he told me not one life is going to be lost here. You might lose this boat. You might lose some of the cargo and you might not make it in time where you thought you were going to go. You might miss an appointment. But you know what? Take courage because your life is not over. You will reach the place you are headed for. When I was a young person in church, it was said this way a few times, and uh, I don't know, there might be some merit to it, but if it was to move you to a, uh, an emotional response, what they would say was, well, if you're having trouble praying for somebody, why don't you just picture them in hell burning and dying? Well, okay. I can pray for them if I get that vision. But what I felt the Lord, and, and this is not, it's not just now. He's been quickening this to me for some time. If you really, truly believe and have faith in a prayer for someone, you don't got to envision them at the point of loss. Envision that person praying. Envision that person preaching, declaring the word of God, envision that person prophesying and sharing the word of God because that's what he told you they're going to do. That's what he said. You said it and I believe it, Lord. I can see it in my spirit. I don't know when. God, if it's 10 years from now or if it's next week, I don't know when, but I can see it in my spirit. You said it and I believe it. It's yea and it's amen. I was praying here last night and the Lord showed me the vision of a young man. It's not in this congregation, but he's connected to this congregation. And this boy, this boy was preaching his heart out. And right now he's about as far away from that as I could imagine. But Lord, I see it and I believe it. I can claim it in faith, God. Uh, because I know it is true and I know it is your word. And with you, nothing is impossible. He said to the prophet, prophesy to these bones that they might live. You know what I'm doing? I'm prophesying to that young man. You will preach the word of God. You will declare it in faith. You will declare it in word and in deed. Your actions are going to come around to meet what we know is the truth. I believe it and I, I, I claim it right now in Jesus' name. Would you just let that faith rise up in you for a moment here? 
Come on, I'm not watching for an emotional response, but I'm, li- I'm looking for the faith that God would put inside a man or a woman and say, can these bones live? Son of man, can these bones live? Prophesy it. Come on, speak it to the wind. Whatever's got to blow in here. Whatever's got to blow into that life. I speak it right now in Jesus' name. I declare it right now in Jesus' name. God, if you've got to send a strong wind and blow some things out of the way and upset some things, whatever it is, I declare it right now in Jesus' name because right alongside that wind of disruption is coming the Word of God and it's coming the fulfillment of a promise. I believe it right now in Jesus' name. I speak it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, by faith I believe it, Lord. By faith I believe it, Lord Jesus. He hears every prayer. The Lord hears every prayer. Every praying mother, every praying father, every praying grandparent. Those those prayers don't fall on deaf ears. Every praying pastor and every praying pastor's wife and the ministers that God would use and the church members that God would use to speak a word of faith and to pray it. The Lord hears all of that. The Lord hears all of it. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, my faith is in you, O God. My faith is in you, Lord Jesus. Right there where you're standing, I'm encouraging you, make this an altar in your spirit. Right here. What the Lord has said and what he's doing right now in this moment. Say, Lord, this right here is my altar. This is the, this is the memory. This is the monument that I'm building right now. And I'm going to come back to it as often as I need to, as often as I want to, and as often as you lead me. I'm coming back to this place in my spirit right here, God, because I know that your spirit is working. I know that your spirit is working, Lord. You've set the times and the seasons, Lord. God, and you know them from beginning to end. I believe it right now in Jesus' name. I believe it right now in Jesus' name. Now, if you believe this in your spirit, I want you to say amen. If you believe it in your spirit, say it again. Amen. Amen. Yes, God. Let it be so. Let it be so, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen.
I praise the Lord, church. Uh, here, when they were singing, uh, the Lord spoke to me, and it was about Sister Vanessa. And I don't know if there's anybody else here that does not have the Holy Ghost, but he told me to tell her not to leave this place until you receive the Holy Ghost. And I believe that today, I know there's sisters here full of the Holy Ghost, and he said to get them to pray for her fervently because she needs to receive the Holy Ghost. I don't know if she has it or not, but that's what the Lord told me. And he said to get a couple of sports, I don't know how many sisters, if it's okay with you, if you believe, if you have faith that you, because I believe the song, the miracle is here. The miracle is here. But if you don't mind coming up here and some sisters coming to pray for her, pray a fervent prayer for her. Because I believe she can receive it today. Because God said for her not to leave this place until she receives the Holy Ghost. And I hope and pray that she will have faith, put everything of the world out of her mind, and just think on Jesus and let him fill you with the Holy Ghost. It's a promise. It's, you can stand here by the altar and have some sisters pray for you. And I believe, because that's what he told me. Amen. I, when I was walking past somebody right before service, the Lord almost stopped me and had me look at that person and say, this is a good day to receive the Holy Ghost. I believe what Brother Escobar shared, and I believe it's not just for you today. Here's what I'm going to say. If you're here and you don't have the Holy Ghost and you want it today, I'm going to invite you to come and stand in this altar. We're going to pray for you. And in faith, I believe the Lord is going to fill you. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat>